This week on Geek Explained, with the new show debuting this Friday on DC Universe, it's time we get you caught up on the Defender of the Green. So join us as we Geek Explain Swamp Thing. Welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we Geek Explain it. I'm your host, Eric Ozana, and today's episode is all about Swamp Thing. This Friday, as of this recording, uh, Swamp Thing is officially debuting on the DC Universe streaming service and app. The first episode will be dropping uh, this Friday. So uh, I figured we jump in and kind of let people know who he is. He's kind of a fringe character, not a whole lot of people mainstream wise know a whole lot about him. So I figured I'd give you a crash course on Swamp Thing so that when you watch the episode like I will be this Friday, you'll kind of get a feeling of knowing exactly what's going on. Uh, Swamp Thing has had a long, long history. Uh, We won't be getting into all of it today but we will be giving you uh his basic backstory um his powers and abilities kind of the supporting cast we should be looking into as well as kind of our look at what the show might be touching on and i'm also going to give you some recommended readings to check out uh if you're interested in the character he's got some really interesting stories um most of his more iconic stories are penned by uh Ellen Moore himself, he is a wizard, and he was a wizard writing uh, comics with Swamp Thing. So that is up. We also have our news segment this week. We've got our final uh, episode of Doom Patrol in the weekly review segment, as well as this week's comics countdown. So we are going to go ahead and kick it off with the news segment. And to start things off, we've got uh, some trailer news. First thing, I really wanted to talk about this first, uh, Jessica Jones. Jessica Jones, the final defender, is... uh, getting her season three and that is dropping uh june 14th which is a friday it is just over two weeks from now so um it's been pretty pretty widely known that uh disney and marvel have pulled their partnership with netflix to uh kind of put all their effort towards disney plus and their own streaming service and their own uh marvel shows so one by one all of the Marvel Netflix shows were canceled. Luke Cage, Iron Fist, Daredevil, Punisher, and finally, the last Defender standing, Jessica Jones. She is getting her final season, season three, again dropping on uh, June 14th. The trailer looked really interesting. Short and sweet to the point. It was basically just a uh, a release date announcement, and it showed a clip uh, with the voiceover coming from what I'm assuming is the villain of the season. He seems to be a pretty uh, messed up guy who has a deep, deep, deep vendetta with Jessica. So I will say the last uh, last episode of season two kind of put a bad taste in my mouth. Um, 
I wasn't a huge fan of the way that it ended. I loved season two overall. I really, really enjoyed it. But I really think that the ending of that season didn't service a whole lot of people. Uh, so I'm hoping that this final season sticks the landing, especially since they know it's the final season and they kind of knew that going into it. And seeing the huge uh, leap in quality and storytelling that uh, Punisher took from season one to season two, I personally loved Punisher season two. I'm really hoping they keep that creative train rolling into the final season for Jessica Jones. Great, great trailer. Really gives you kind of a tease on what to expect. And I'm really excited to see how everything ends up for the last Defender standing before everything kind of reboots and we might not ever see these characters again. We also got a trailer for Terminator Dark Fate. This is the latest Terminator, which seems to be kind of retconning uh, everything post-Terminator Judgment Day. Apparently everything past that just didn't happen. Um, at least that's what the, uh, the team behind it is saying. So I'm interested. Um, it does have... Uh, God, Gabriel Luna, uh, who is Ghost Rider as the newest Terminator, which I'm really excited about. And it looks like we're going to be telling kind of a mirror story of of a uh, young woman who is being hunted down by the Terminator because she holds the secret to uh, something that's going to mess with Skynet in the future. And now uh, Sarah Connor kind of gets to play the Kyle Reese role where she is protecting this girl from the Terminator. So we'll see what happens there. Um, I... You know, I haven't been super impressed by the last few Terminators. I wasn't super impressed by this trailer. It looked fine. The CGI definitely isn't finished. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, and then the, the trailer, I would say I am just as excited about as uh, Jessica Jones is Picard. So I'm super, I'm super excited about it. Um, Patrick Stewart's one of my favorite actors of all time. Um, Something a little bit about me that you might not know. Uh, my parents were huge Trekkies when I was growing up. Uh, my mom and dad swore by the Federation, and they were always they always picked Star Trek over Star Wars. And so I grew up on uh, the Next Generation. I grew up on Deep Space Nine. Uh, I really have kind of a uh, weird relationship with Star Trek. So. Uh, the last couple movies I've actually really enjoyed. Um, the kind of reboot with J.J. Uh, Abrams I thought went really well and kind of keeps all of Star God, there it is again. Uh, all of Star Trek continuity intact. And this trailer uh, kind of hints at the idea that uh, it might also be influenced by the events of... Um, Star Trek, the uh, the 2009 Star Trek. So I'm really interested to see what that uh, what that entails. Uh, it comes up. The trailer shows us a retired Picard, seemingly owning a wine uh, a winery or a vineyard. So I'm interested to see where they go. The synopsis that I've seen uh, supposedly this takes place 20 years after Star Trek Nemesis, uh, which was my first. Uh, experience with Tom Hardy as an actor and also from the synopsis seems to deal with uh, Picard's I don't know if it's PTSD or some kind of guilt or over the destruction of Romulus so 
there's a lot that could fit in there. Uh, the destruction of Romulus directly uh, kind of kicked off the events of the new J.J. Abrams Star Trek uh, timeline. So I'm really interested to see where the show goes. It's supposed to be like 10 episodes. going to be on CBS. Um, so I'm in. I mean, Patrick Stewart is going back into being Picard. It's the role that made him famous in a way. So I'm interested to see where that goes. Uh, some movie news. Sonic the Hedgehog has been delayed until 2020. It has been delayed officially. Uh, the I believe it was the director put out a tweet showing that it's going to instead be released on Valentine's Day. And for those of you who have been listening, that's great news. Because I was happy about Sonic the Hedgehog being uh, kind of reworked, the whole model being reworked after the huge backlash, but I also was not happy that they weren't delaying the release because that meant that the uh, VFX workers who put that together now had to work overtime and double time to redo this character who is in the entire movie so that they can meet their release date. And now that they're pushing the release date back, it means that they're going to get ample time to really make this the best that it can be. So I'm happy about that. Um, in other news, uh, for those of you who are wrestling fans, All Elite Wrestling had their very first pay-per-view this past weekend on Saturday. It was Double or Nothing in Vegas. I'm a huge wrestling fan. I loved watching the show. I forked over the money to watch my pay-per-view and i was not disappointed the show was fantastic um if you are not a pro wrestling fan i'm sorry that i'm going on this tangent but i absolutely love pro wrestling i love the show i'm really excited for what aew has going forward and i'm just excited for us to be in this new era of pro wrestling it's going to be great there's a lot of uh potential both in the company itself as well as the talent that they've gotten for their roster so we will just have to wait and see but overall first show big thumbs up from me and then finally um we have some news that i'm not exactly excited about now for those of you who aren't aware last week a rumor popped up that uh tom king who uh, we have talked about uh, numerous times in the past, and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about again, Hintent, um, was going to be taken off of the main Batman book. He has been writing it since the beginning of uh, the Rebirth run, and has said on many occasions that his run for him is going to be 100 issues. Uh, so far, we've gotten, I believe, 70 issues, 70 ish issues so far. And um, it was going to play all the way out until I want to say like issue 105. And that's, you know, counting the, uh, the button and the price crossovers, as well as I think one or two more issues. So overall, for him, it was going to be him writing 100 issues. It was going to end up being like 105 issues or something like that. And um, the rumor was that he was being taken off for different reasons, uh, some of which being uh, a lot of fan reception to his run, um, sales numbers, the fact that in one month, uh, Immortal Hulk, which we did recommend in uh, our episode two weeks ago on our endgame postgame, if you haven't checked that episode out, check it out. Uh, 
outsold the main Batman book, which has been consistently the top seller in DC for God as long as I can remember. And this was a big deal. This was just a rumor at the time that it was reported, but later on it was uh, confirmed that Tom King would be leaving the book after issue number 85, which brings us all the way up to, uh, I believe, the end of this year. So Batman is still shipping, I want to say, bi- uh, bi-weekly. So it's every other week. Um, and his you know, 105-issue run would be cut short by 20 issues. Uh, later on, it was announced that following his departure uh, from Batman at the end of 2019 and 2020, he would be launching a 12-issue maxi-series, uh, kind of his bread and butter, called Batman-Catwoman, basically focusing on his Bat-Cat relationship. And the rumor is right now that the 12 issues of this Bat-Cat story would be finishing off his run just kind of uh, truncated and shortened and streamlined into a 12-issue maxi-series. I have a lot of feelings on this. Um, We've talked about before that, you know, certain issues that I've had with certain stories he's written, namely Heroes in Crisis, certain things about uh, the main Batman book, uh, the widely publicized Bat-Cat wedding that ended up being a huge fiasco for pretty much everybody, I think. And I have talked about different things that I've liked, different things that I've disliked when it comes to his Batman run. But my feelings on this, you're going to get a little bit of uh, Geeksplained editorial here. I... Uh, I don't like this. I don't like the fact that he's leaving the book early. I don't like the fact that he's getting kind of put on this new book as kind of a consolation prize. Um, if it ends up being a completely new story, then great. Uh, he seems to really love the whole relationship between Bruce Wayne and Selina Kyle, if that was his intention uh, from the beginning or his intention at a certain point in his run. Totally fine. That's cool. But if this is legitimately them saying we don't like what you're doing with batman and the rumor is that he was taken off after warner brothers not dc warner brothers found out what he was doing in the final 15 issues of his run which quote unquote would forever change batman for an entire generation um they gave dc the ultimatum to I guess not the ultimatum, but basically the order to get him off the book. And I think that's a shame. I really don't like that. I I don't like the idea that Tom King, for all of his faults, is going to be taken off of his story halfway through. Um, And I I mean, halfway is obviously uh, an exaggeration, but like he hasn't completed the story yet. He has the whole City of Bane, which is coming up, I believe, in 75. uh, And that's going to go through the last, I guess, guess, 10 issues of the run. But he had a whole other 20 issues to go following that. And we don't know what was going to happen. 
assuming that this whole you know changing batman for a generation kind of thing was going to take place in the final 15 issues we might not see that or if we do see that it's going to be in some ancillary book that not everyone's going to pick up um i'm really happy for the book it looks great i mean it's drawn by clay man so of course it's going to be gorgeous but i am really disappointed in dc and it feels like a reactionary response i feel like they are shortchanging a guy who really loves what he does and is trying to tell a full and complete story and is not getting the opportunity to because some people don't agree with the story and we've talked a lot uh recently there's been a lot of talk about game of thrones um this idea that they uh they were telling a story that not everyone agrees with but just because it wasn't what everyone wanted to happen doesn't mean it's shit and i kind of even though it's very very different contexts um i think that applies in this situation whether or not you've liked everything that tom king has put out in the main batman book and there have definitely been problems but whether or not you've liked his stuff you have to give him the room to complete his vision because if it doesn't then what was the point of this in the first place if he's made all of these horrible decisions that people are um talking about like you know the Batcat wedding shooting dick in the head which i don't know if that was his deal or what if that was that was something he wanted to do or something that dc told him to do so that they could go a different direction with the nightwing character um i don't i don't like this i don't like the idea that his story either is now getting the shaft or is now having to be trimmed down before he's you know sent off on his next project i think that it's a shame it's startling it's really surprising when you think about other creative teams that even though they didn't have the greatest runs were able to complete their visions so that they could have a full and complete story i think it's really depressing and it kind of makes me wonder how many people how many writers how many creative teams are now going to be afraid to tell stories tell honest stories that they want to tell for fear of oh people aren't going to like it the sales figures aren't going to be uh through the roof so they're just going to take me off of it halfway through what does that say about expression through this art form you know if things like that had happened back when you know grant morrison was doing doom patrol you know i can't tell you like what the sales figures were i weren't i wasn't really collecting comics at the time but i can tell you that if they decided oh this book isn't really what everyone wants this book isn't what is appealing to a large scale group we're gonna take you know grant morrison off of doom patrol halfway through his run or you know three quarters of the way through his run like that would suck and it wouldn't be heralded as like a the definitive doom patrol run that it is today and that's not saying that tom king's batman is going to be you know the definitive batman run i don't think it is i think it's a fantastic run but it's not going to be something that we look at like an all-star superman or like a grant morrison on doom patrol um but i just i don't agree with this i don't think it's right i'm glad that he is uh 
you know, kind of saving face and really showing how excited he is about the Batcat book. I'll be picking it up, if nothing else, than to just see what they do with it. But I I can't get behind this. This is this this is like if they decided after issue three of Heroes in Crisis that uh, we're not really feeling it. You know, all of the bad press is really, you know, starting to affect us and we don't really want this this and this so we're going to take you off we're going to shorten your seven or nine issues down to four issues and that's what you've got to play with you have to wrap everything up in issue four that would be crap it would be total and complete crap and this story you know regardless of how it ends because it does end this week um i'll be giving my thoughts about it in our uh comics countdown segment but i just i i really believe in if they are going to give someone the room to make an artistic choice and have an artistic vision you should allow them to finish that vision you should allow them to take their story begin it and end it because if no one is able to finish stories because editorial or corporate are basically looking at just the numbers and not the actual stories that are being told then what's the point of doing this what's the point of writing these stories what's the point of making these stories um i'm not gonna go and say that you know tom king is god's gift to comics because he has made mistakes and there are certain stories that i don't agree with you know in this run there have been stories where i'm like "Eh, i don't really feel that i'm not really enjoying this but Overall, looking over the entire thing, you should allow him to finish what he's doing. And I realize that at this point it's probably moot to be talking about it. Um, the decision's already been made. But I just, I think it's a real shame. And I am curious on who they put on the book next. Uh, God help us if they decide that Brian Michael Bendis is going to be on Batman. I can't, I can't get behind that. He has driven me away from Superman which sucks. Um, nothing against him. I'm sure he's a great guy. He's fantastic. I have nothing against him as a person, but his writing of Superman has been really lackluster and has gotten me to drop both Superman books that I was in love with beforehand. Uh, so I just, I can't, I can't support that if that's the decision they make. But I will be interested to see what creative team they have going forward, and I'll be interested to see what Tom King does next. Uh, both talking about... Uh, the Batcat book, as well as a future project, a secret project that he's been kind of teasing on Twitter for the longest time. So that is my rant. That is uh, Eric's soapbox here. So that's just, I wanted to talk about it. It's, I think it's a big deal as someone who uh, is a creative, who is, you know, working on stuff all the time. I just, I feel like this is something that needs to be addressed. So yeah, that is it for uh, the news segment. I mean, the last uh news worthy item is that swamp thing is debuting this friday uh first episode is going to be dropping i'm assuming at the same time as the doom patrol episodes have been dropping so like midnight uh thursday night or like 1 a.m friday morning something around there so i am excited to check that out and i am excited to jump into the main course of today's episode the entree if you will which is a Crash Course, a 101 lesson, if you will, on Swamp Thing.
that song. It is so bad. It is just awful. Uh, what you heard just now was the theme song to the Swamp Thing cartoon, which uh, took place in 1991 to 1993. Um, it's awful. It's so bad. It's so bad that I had to play the entire minute-long intro for you <laughs> just so you could bask in its glory. Um, as you can absolutely tell, it is a clear ripoff of uh, Chip Taylor's Wild Thing. It is just so incredibly bad that I really hope that they just use it for the uh, DC Universe show, which does debut this Friday, of course. But uh, yeah, this is going to be your crash course on uh, Swamp Thing, Swamp Thing 101, if you will. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the publication debut. We're going to be talking about a little background for the character, a couple of the main uh, supporting cast, as well as a couple of the antagonists, what you can expect for the show that is going to be debuting. And I'm also going to give you some recommended readings. Uh, there's some good stuff, some good Swamp Thing books that I think if you're interested in the character, you should definitely check out. So let's kick it off with a little bit of uh, basic info. Uh, Swamp Thing, the character, the creature, made its debut in House of Secrets number 92 in July of 1971. However, this isn't the Swamp Thing that we uh, all know and love. This was the Swamp Thing known as Alex Olson. Alex Olson was a scientist living in uh, Louisiana. He was a brilliant young scientist. Um, he had a wife named Linda, and after an accident, he was transformed into Swamp Thing. Uh, the accident was caused by his assistant, who was in love with his wife, so... You know, he uh, staged his uh, boss's death so that he could get in bed with his boss's wife. Great stuff. Great stuff in the 1970s. And, of course, in her grief, she does find comfort in the assistant's arms, whose name is Damien. He uh, ends up marrying her, and as their marriage you know, blossoms, she starts to suspect that he might have had something to do with Alex's death. Alex, of course, takes revenge on Damien, barging into their home and snapping his neck, but uh, Linda comes out and sees the grotesque monster, and Alex, as Swamp Thing, can't speak. He hasn't been able to, he isn't able to form words, so Linda just shrieks, runs away from him, and his life is pretty much over. He decides to abandon uh, civilization and other people and goes and kind of fades into obscurity in the Louisiana swamp. Years and years later, the descendant of Linda, also named Linda, marries a young scientist named Alec Holland. This is the uh, Swamp Thing that you and I know, and it is the Swamp Thing that will be making his debut in the Swamp Thing show. Uh, this Swamp Thing made his debut in Swamp Thing number one in November of 1972, so not long after the first uh, appearance of the uh, Alex Olsen Swamp Thing. Uh, Alec Holland was another brilliant young scientist working in Louisiana Swamplands, but... The difference was he was working in a secret facility, and him and his wife, Linda, you know, they just, they gotta carry things over, you know? Things were, you know, what works, works, and 
what ain't broke don't fix it uh they were basically working on a bio restorative formula that would solve any nation's food shortage problems they would be able to regrow any kind of vegetation plant life so that it would basically solve world hunger that was their goal and they got a semi-working formula of this uh biorestorative material and unfortunately they were beset upon by a certain nathan ellery who is a local kind of mob boss guy and he used his thugs ferret and bruno to barge into alex lab and knock him out they had tried to get him to sell the formula to them before seeing it as kind of something of a bargaining chip something they can sell in the black market but alec refused saying that his research was too important so they decided to barge into the lab knock him out plant a bomb in the facility and leave him and the formula to die they basically said if we can't have it nobody can have it and screw this you know holier-than-thou scientist so alec wakes up just as the bomb explodes and he is not only burned just to a crisp but he's also covered in a certain amount of the biorestorative formula he runs out into the swamp trying to douse the flames um and he eventually you know falls into the swamp and dies uh, while in the kind of the murky waters of the swamp, the biorestorative formula takes effect and it affects the surrounding swamp, the surrounding plant life in the swamp, and it imbues the light, the swamp life with Alex's memories and his consciousness. The new conscious uh, plant life forms into a humanoid figure believing itself to be alec turned into a monster similar to how alex olsen was turned into a monster was turned into the new swamp thing so he becomes the newest and the most well-known swamp thing uh for a long time he believes that he is actually alec holland who has been turned into a creature but eventually he does find out that he is in fact just the surrounding plant life that was that happened to be around when alec holland died uh this has been you know played around retconned with uh taken back all of these kind of things but the most common uh most commonly accepted origin is that he is or swamp thing it is just the plant life imbued with his consciousness um, he regularly would combat anton arcane who used a mixture of evil experiments and basic sorcery to combat him both on the scientific as well as the uh, more occult plane this would kind of reignite some of the old alec holland persona in that anton arcane's niece abby arcane abigail arcane was a friend of his and linda's while he was still alive eventually their relationship after re kind of reuniting would turn into a blossoming relationship now if you're wondering hey what happened to linda holland well after the accident that turned alec holland into swamp thing or i guess technically turned swamp thing into alec holland uh he was presumed dead and following the funeral for alec uh linda was targeted by ferret who was one of the thugs responsible for the accident in the first place um basically killed her 
Uh, he murdered Linda in her bedroom following the funeral for Alec, and she was also killed. Uh, what kind of brought Alec and Abby together was that she was dating an Interpol agent at the time named Matthew Cable, who took the case to solve the uh, murders of Alec and Linda Holland. Uh, Cable had a pretty, pretty serious vendetta against Swamp Thing, believing that Swamp Thing was the thing that murdered uh, both Alec and Linda Holland, and there was a whole deal for a while where, uh, you know, Swamp Thing's misunderstood, Matthew Cable is hunting uh, Swamp Thing, Abby Arcane is kind of caught in the middle, having been friends with Alec and later learning all the secrets of what happened. Uh, it was, it's a complicated love triangle, as most uh, comics are. They're just, you know, really intense soap operas. Uh, as Swamp Thing, talking about some of his abilities, Swamp Thing is the protector of the green. Now, what is the green? We talked about it in our intro for the episode. The green, as I'm looking at the, uh, the official DC wiki right here, because they are going to word it better than I ever could. It says, quote, The green is an elemental force which connects all forms of plant life on Earth, experienced by elementals as an ethereal realm inhabited by the collective minds of the Parliament of Trees. Various plant elementals of the DC Universe have been known to communicate with the green as well and appear to have an in-tune rapport with it. This includes Swamp Thing, of course, as well as Poison Ivy, who also has a uh, a very loose history with Alec Holland. Uh, her former teacher, Jason Woodrue, who ended up causing the accident that turned her into Poison Ivy, was also the professor who taught Linda Holland. So there is a uh, there's a connection there. And of course, Jason Woodrue would later become the Floronic Man. Uh, Jason Woodrue is appearing in the show, so that might uh, give us a hint on what might be happening there. Uh, but we'll talk about that in a second. As the Defender of the Green, the Swamp Thing has a certain amount of powers, including elemental control, so he has a complete mastery over all forms of plant life, as well as any kind of vegetative manner, which basically makes him in tune with the entire planet. He does have superhuman strength due to this, uh, because of his... Uh, his, basically, his strength level is tied directly to his connection to the Earth, and because he's connected to the entire Earth, he is super freaking strong. Uh, at times, he can also be supplied extra strength by the green, so he is able to become even stronger. He does have what is defined as chlorokinesis, so he's able to commune with surrounding plant life and to uh, varying degrees control its growth and form, which means he can affect... Uh, vegetative growth, he can affect how well crops can be grown, all that kind of stuff. He also has self-sustenance, so he is able to, he's basically completely self-sustaining. He doesn't have to eat, he doesn't have to drink. He, his form, his body, I guess in the loose sense of the term, is able to nourish itself, uh, usually due to photosynthesis as well as other things. Uh, he also is a award-winning chemist and biologist, so he has both uh, brains, a spiritual connection, as well as the brawn with his uh, physical abilities. He also uh, does have a very distinct weakness. He has a vulnerability to pollution uh, as we go along the uh, Captain Planet comparisons, I'm sure, are starting to pile up. Uh, 
it's highly dangerous. Pollution is highly dangerous to plant life. And of course, the more pollution that he is surrounded by, the weaker he gets. So uh, I bet you didn't think this was going to become a, P a uh, PSA about making sure that you don't litter and pollute, but here we are. So those are the abilities. His uh, supporting cast is pretty much the people that we've talked about before. Abby Arcane, uh, Matthew Cable. We also talked about uh, Anton Arcane, who is, I guess, kind of his his main nemesis, his big, uh, his big bad, his Joker to his Batman, his Lex Luthor to his Superman. So a lot of stuff is really kind of based around his... Uh, interactions with other characters his solo series d except for uh, very select examples uh, have more been kind of centered around figuring out who he is rather than him being in conflicts so that is kind of a basic uh, crash course a basic all the things that you need to know about the character uh, going into the show the show of course like we said is debuting this friday and uh, it's got an interesting cast. I'm really interested in seeing uh, what this show is going to bring forward from the uh, from the comics, all of his backstory and stuff, and how that's going to translate. Uh, the official synopsis reads abby arcane returns home to homa louisiana to investigate a deadly swamp-borne virus where she develops a bond with scientist alec holland after holland tragically dies arcane discovers the mysteries of the swamp and that holland may not be dead after all so it looks like we're blowing past uh, linda holland and all those connections she might make an appearance we don't know um it seems that Abby Arcane is going to be kind of our POV character, and I really like that they're delving into the horror aspect. There's a lot of spirituality, a lot of um, environmentalist themes when it comes to Swamp Thing, but what's going to grab people is the horror aspect, and there are plenty of horrifying things when it comes to Swamp Thing stories. Uh, the cast is really interesting. I don't know a whole lot of the uh, actors that are in this, so it's going to be great for me to kind of uh, discover new actors that I haven't really seen before. I think the one I'm most familiar with is uh, Crystal Reed, who is going to be playing Abby uh, Arcane. And the only reason that I really know her, and this is going to sound weird... And uh, I'm a little, uh, you? <laughs> that's Babs. She is very interested in, uh, in Swamp Thing and is a big fan of Abby Arcane as a character. Uh, but the only way that I am really familiar with uh, Crystal Reed is she plays Sophia Falcone in Gotham. So I bet you didn't think this was going to turn into a loose Gotham uh, cast review, but that's where we are. Babs is a big fan of Gotham. Yeah, we hear you. We know. All right, I gotta, fi I gotta finish this. I gotta finish this. I gotta finish this episode. Okay, thank you. <laughs> As you can tell, Babs is uh, is still with us every time I I record, and she has a lot of things to say. And as you can probably tell, I'm still very stuffed up from uh, all of. Babs being around the place. I love her. She is, uh, she is something. Being a new pet owner is, uh, 
a a treasured experience we'll say uh i bet you didn't think this was going to turn into an episode about owning pets but here we are so um yeah the cast is really interesting um i liked crystal reed as uh sophia falcone in gotham i thought she did good and the trailers have been very kind to her so i'm interested to see exactly what they do i'm not familiar with the uh the actor who plays alec holland i believe his name is andy bean uh but uh he seems interesting and i'm interested to see what he does with the character what i'm really interested is some of the characters that they have brought in uh that i really didn't see being in this show at least not you know immediately uh the first of which is madame xanadu uh she i mean it makes sense she is part of that kind of uh dark mystical corner of the dc universe but uh i did not expect her kind of live action debut to be in the show but i'm excited about it uh she is being portrayed by gerald prescott and her character bio says a blind fortune teller whose psychic abilities can reveal the future so i'm interested to see how she factors into the show but i do see her as kind of like a uh she might be the person who prophesizes all the bad things that are going to happen. Uh, we also will be seeing Jason Woodrue, played by Kevin Durand. That's right, I know Kevin Durand. He's, uh, if you picture a, uh, a specific movie or a TV show where there's been a bad guy and his right-hand man is this kind of uh, southern-sounding gentleman, it's probably Kevin Durand. He's been in a lot of stuff. Uh, if you enjoy bad movies like I do, he played the Blob in uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine. But Jason Woodrue, Floronic Man, has a connection to Poison Ivy. Maybe we'll see Poison Ivy in uh, Swamp Thing at some point. We don't know. Uh, the show did get cut down from 13 episodes to 10 episodes. So um, I'm not sure exactly if they had to create an entirely new ending or how they're going to kind of wrap that up. But I'm hoping that that's not emblematic of the show and that we will see a season two. Um, another character that I'm really interested in seeing is uh, Daniel Cassidy. If you don't know who Daniel Cassidy is, he is Blue Devil. If you don't know who that is, it's basically Ghost Rider. He was a former stuntman who um, basically made a deal with the devil and became Blue Devil. Uh, he is given all these kind of, you know, fire and brimstone-esque abilities, and I'm interested to see why he's in the show. If he does end up becoming Blue Devil, we got a glimpse of a possible Blue Devil in the show, so he might make an appearance and then, you know, help out Swamp Thing here and there. But yeah, I'm really interested to see where they go with this. Uh, Len Wiseman's directing at least the first episode, and Len Wiseman's really good at, you know, all the stuff that I've seen him direct. So uh, yeah, that's what the show has in store for you. But if you are interested, if you are thinking, hey, I'm interested in the show, I'm interested in this character, what books should I check out to kind of get up to speed or read about some of the best stuff? Yeah, Babs wants to know. So I've got... Uh, a short list of a few books that I think you should definitely be checking out uh, if you're interested. This ranges from all over the character's history. Uh, the first of which is Saga of the Swamp Thing Book 1, uh, written by Alan Moore with art by Stephen Bissett, as well as John Totalben. Uh, I'll give you the synopsis and let you know exactly what's going on with this. Before Watchmen, Alan Moore made his debut in the U.S. comic book industry with the revitalization, the revitalization of the horror comic book 
the Swamp Thing. His deconstruction of the classic monster stretched the creative boundaries of the medium and became one of the most spectacular series in comic book history. Book one begins with the story The Anatomy Lesson, a haunting origin story that reshapes Swamp Thing mythology with terrifying revelations that begin a journey of discovery and adventure that will take him across the stars and beyond. So yeah, this is basically the beginning of the Alan Moore Swamp Thing. Um, after they decided to move him from the uh, House of Secrets book to his own official book, Swamp Thing was given a total overhaul with Alan Moore, and it, uh, again, became the iconic and seminal Swamp Thing run. This is giving you his origin, you're going to get some of his early stories, his dealings with Matthew Cable, Abby Arcane, the whole deal. Uh, the show will probably be pulling a lot from this run, so definitely check this out. Uh, next up, we have Saga of the Swamp Thing Book 3, still written by Alan Moore with art by Stephen Bissett and John Totalbin. This is an important book for an for numerous reasons, but I'll go through the uh, synopsis and you'll probably figure out why real quick. Continuing the hardcover collections of Alan Moore's award-winning run on the Saga of the Swamp Thing, this third volume is brimming with visceral horrors, including underwater vampires, a werewolf with an unusual curse, the hideous madman called Nukeface, and best of all, this volume features the comic's debut of one John Constantine the Hellblazer, who launches Swamp Thing on a voyage of self-discovery that will take him from the darkest corners of America to the roots of his own long-hidden heritage. So yeah, this is the debut of Alan Moore's arguably his greatest creation, which is John Constantine. Um, this is basically his debut. We get interactions between them. Swamp Thing and John Constantine, I think, are one of the great uh, comic book duos just because of how they balance each other out they're very very different characters and uh, i really enjoy their interactions and this is early john constantine this is before he uh, aged up before he had kind of the weight of the world on his shoulders as well as everything underneath it uh, this is really great prime alan moore material i would say if you want to you can also lead into uh, book four as well because that's very uh, john constantine centric but book three is the first meeting, the first initial meeting of the two, and also has some great stories. I mean, you get a character called Nukeface. He is a fantastically weird character that could only be created by Alan Moore. So that's definitely a pickup. Uh, also, in kind of a, uh, a newer edition, this is Swamp Thing by Scott Snyder. They have it in a deluxe edition on Amazon. It's fairly pricey but it's uh it's pretty good this was the new 52 swamp thing a lot of people don't know that alongside his run on batman scott snyder was also reinventing swamp thing and i'm sure the show is going to be taking a lot of cues from this run because it is the more modernized version and there are also some other uh some other aspects of it that i think they're going to touch on let's jump into the synopsis the legendary Swamp Thing has resurfaced for a new age, just as a new force threatens to rot away all life on Earth. Since the dawn of time, the planet's safety has depended on maintaining a balance of three great powers. The green, the force that unites all plant life. The red, the force that unites all animal life. And the rot, the force of death. Each generation, the green selects an avatar to serve as its protector the Swamp Thing. But Dr. Alec Holland, the Green's newest champion, is no longer interested in the role. 
The Rot's own avatar is growing stronger, and Servants of Decay gain more territory every day. If Alec doesn't return to his duties soon, there may not be any green left to protect. So yeah, uh, this is really interesting. It kind of uh, reinforced the idea of these planetary sources, the green, the red, the rot. Uh, the red's avatar, I'm pretty sure, has always kind of been represented as Animal Man. So uh, that's also a great book you can check out. That character is super weird. Um, but this put a lot more of that protector of the green idea back into his character. It was less about him uh, on this journey of self-discovery and more about his role in the greater DC universe, which I really liked. And plus, Scott Steiner's fantastic. The art is uh, by Yannick Paquette, who is always fantastic. I would definitely pick this up. I would also recommend picking up Swamp Thing, The Dead Don't Sleep, written by Len Wein, with art by Kelly Jones. Len Wein is the creator of the Swamp Thing character. Um, this was him coming back to... Uh, the character for the first time in a long time. This was in uh, 2016. He did a short miniseries, which was The Dead Don't Sleep. And uh, it was a great return to form for him. So let's jump into the synopsis. In the swamp, nothing stays buried. Once he was Alec Holland, loving husband and brilliant scientist. Then, betrayed by the greed of evil men, his humanity was burned away, and in its new place, a new consciousness took root. On that day, everything he thought he knew about life, death, and the powers of the world was overturned, and Alec Holland was reborn as the immortal avatar of all things green and growing, the Swamp Thing. In the years since, his endless battle against the Greens' myriad of enemies has cost the Swamp Thing everyone and everything he ever loved. Through it all, his dearest desire has been to live again as the man he once was, a dream that has always proven to be impossible. Until now. So yeah, six-issue six miniseries, really great. It's a great jumping-on point for the character. Pretty much gives you all you need to know about the character, as well as being written by his creator decades after he was created. So it's a great, great book. I definitely think you should pick it up. Uh, the next one I have is actually just a single issue, and it's not even a Swamp Thing issue. This is Batman, issue number 23, called The... Brave and the Mold. Uh, this is written by Tom King with art by Mitch Jarrods, that classic team. Uh, this is a really interesting story, and you can tell how badly Tom King wanted to write Swamp Thing as a character. Um, we'll also touch on that in the final uh, book in our recommended reading. But the synopsis for this issue is Swamp Thing comes to Gotham City with a mysterious request for Batman. But these longtime allies will have to make up for lost time and work together in order to confront a growing threat that only they can stop. So yeah, I always love stories about uh, Batman dealing with magic. Uh, I think one of the best things about the animated Justice League Dark story was having Batman deal with the Justice League Dark because he doesn't believe in magic, he doesn't believe in a lot of the occult. So getting those uh, kind of interactions, especially between two characters who could not be more different, was really, really great. And it's a book I definitely think you should be picking up. It's just a single issue. It's a great little introduction to the character through the lens of a character that you know. So finally, what we have here is the newest 
uh swamp thing story this is swamp thing winter special number one uh written by tom king with art by jason fabok including a short uh story by len ween who wrote uh who created swamp thing and sadly has also passed away with artist uh bernie wrightston so uh this story is really interesting i'll jump into the synopsis and then we'll talk about it Tom King and Jason Fabok pay tribute to the legendary creators of Swamp Thing, writer Len Wein and artist Bernie Wrightson, as they join forces for an earth-shattering Swamp Thing passion project. In this new, square-bound one-shot, Swamp Thing is out of his element as he shepherds a lost boy through a blinding blizzard and other hazards of a strange, frozen tundra. In this touching and harrowing tale of survival, the pair must navigate countless threats throughout a bewildering terrain, with a bloodthirsty snow monster hot on their heels. But how long can they rely on each other? Separated from the green and stripped of his powers in this dead world, Swamp Thing struggles to fight for their lives and deliver the boy to safety. Disoriented and decaying, Swamp Thing's fading understanding of his surroundings forces the duo to confront their desperation and uncover the true identity of the snow monster that hunts them. In addition, this special features the final Swamp Thing story from the monster's co-creator, Len Wein. Originally intended as the start of a new series, it is presented here both in its original script form and with art by Kelly Jones. So yeah, I think this is probably one of the best best Swamp Thing stories that I've ever read. Um, I really think that if you are unfamiliar with the character, if you know nothing about him, pick this book up. Pick this up and then pick up... Uh, what is it called again? Uh, the... Da, 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 da. The Dead Don't Sleep. Pick up The Dead Don't Sleep and pick up this. Uh, if nothing else, then for uh, continuity's sake, because uh, as it said in the synopsis, this one shot also includes uh, Len Wayne's final uh, Swamp Thing story with art by Kelly Jones, who illustrated the uh, Dead Don't Sleep. So it is a final collaboration between those two, and of course it was the uh, start of a new Swamp Thing book that was to be put out by Len Wein, and unfortunately uh, wasn't able to continue because of the uh, passing of Len Wein. So those are the books I think you should pick up. This book is great as just an introduction to the character. Uh, Tom King, you can tell how much passion he has for the character. And Jason Fabok's art is always beautiful to look at. So this is a great survival story. If you love stories like that, you'll definitely enjoy this. And that is it for our lesson on Swamp Thing. Uh, given you kind of the basic crash course all you need to know the basics for this character giving you some stories that you can read if you're interested and then letting you know kind of what to expect for the show uh they're going to be dealing with a lot of horror aspects uh it's going to be mostly pov through abby arcane which i like and uh, we're going to be dealing with some creepy people and some creepy stuff uh matthew cable is uh confirmed to be on the show as well uh like we said, Jason Woodrue is also going to be there. So I am really interested to see where they go. I'm interested to see what the show is like. It does have uh, James Wan producing, I believe. So you're going to have some great, great horror.
So that is it for our coverage on Swamp Thing that hopefully gave you everything you need to know about the character to go in and enjoy when the uh, the episode drops on Friday. Uh, let me know if you're interested in Swamp Thing. If you're going to be watching, feel free to let me know if you've been a fan of the character for years or if you don't know anything about the character. Uh, feel free to reach out to me on social media at Pod. That's at P-O-D on Twitter and Instagram or through email to geeksplain at gmail.com because I am still an old man and I still do read emails. Uh, but that's going to do it for Swamp Things. So I'm really excited. I'm going to be tuning in to check out the episode and I hope that you do too because this is a really interesting character and I'm super, super pumped to see what they do with Swamp Thing. Crossing my fingers that they use the 90s cartoon theme for sure. that beautiful musical intro can only mean one thing it is now time for the weekly review this is the segment of our show where i review something weekly and we have been focusing so far in the weekly review on the doom patrol show this is the live action doom patrol show that has been featuring on the dc universe streaming service and app and uh this is it we have finally arrived to the finale of season one of the doom patrol we don't know if there's going to be a season two um at least uh as far as i know we haven't gotten any news on that yet so uh as soon as i know anything more about that i will let you guys know but as of right now um we really don't know anything (laughs) but um even if there is no season two i personally absolutely loved this season it has been fantastic and even if it does end off here um i think i'll be okay i think i'd be okay the uh the ending was weird which we'll get into i'm getting a little ahead of myself um but yeah, this is the finale. This is officially the season finale of the Doom Patrol. Uh, episode 15, entitled Ezekiel Patrol. We'll get into why it's called Ezekiel Patrol in a little bit. Uh, but the episode picks up with the Shattered Team. This, the episode picks up directly after the uh, revelation that... Uh, just smack the mic there for a second, sorry. Um, the revelation that the Chief caused all of the accidents that uh, basically uh, caused all the accidents that turned the team into who they are and what I thought was interesting was after giving the whole recap um, the episode doesn't start exactly there Uh, the episode starts back at the ant farm in 1961 the ant farm of course being the uh the headquarters of the bureau of normalcy and we find out that niles calder was a member of the bureau of normalcy uh we knew that back in uh kind of his episode the 
what we came to find out was that he was part of the Bureau of Oddities. And then when he went missing for, I want to say it was like two, three years, um, he came back and the U.S. government had uh, rebranded the Bureau of Oddities into the Bureau of Normalcy. And we didn't really see what happened to him afterwards, but we now know that he served in the Bureau of Normalcy for a while and was responsible for uh, specific... I don't want to call them like strikes on people, but he was part of an operation that uh, were taking specific individuals and putting them through these accidents. I'm doing air quotes for podcast listeners. Um, doing sp- these specific accidents to give them special abilities. And we saw that um, he had accomplices. Uh, the I can't remember his name right now, but the guy who was running the quote-unquote Doom Patrol school uh, was a member of his team, and that this was basically how he was getting people together to be part of the Doom Patrol at Doom Manor and the whole thing. And to me, at least, it's unclear on whether or not uh, this took place before, I mean, it has, I would say it would have to since it's 1961. Um, but I think it's really interesting, and I don't know if the original Doom Patrol, which consisted of uh, Mento, uh, Tempest, and the others, were part of this, or whether this was like a secret side thing that he had been working on alongside of his work here. But um, we basically see that the bureau would select uh candidates and then niles and his team would go in and basically uh cause these accidents to happen and then they would be brought into doom manor which kind of uh i guess served as a kind of a safe house for these people and at the same time um certain individuals were brought into the actual ant farm uh, those being Larry. Um, but yeah, I thought it was really interesting. Uh, it was just a lot to kind of take in at the beginning because we've been kind of fighting the Bureau of Normalcy this whole entire time and to find out that uh, Niles had been working alongside them, not just that he caused these accidents, but that he was doing so at the behest of the Bureau of Normalcy was a lot to take in. Uh, following this, we saw that basically after the uh, after the reveal that uh, the chief had caused all this, nobody just whisked everybody away. It was like, yeah, I win. That's what it is. And we pick up six months later. Like six months have passed since this, and everybody is in a really weird place. Uh, Rita and Larry are kind of settled into suburban life. Uh, Rita is teaching at a local high school, I am assuming. Uh, She's teaching drama. Larry is basically just a recluse, not going out, basically doing what he was doing uh, before the season started as he is trying to work with the negative spirit now on them being able to work uh, in tandem instead of them working in opposition to each other. And then uh, basically Jane is homeless she's living in the the school bus underneath some uh overpass and is basically homeless just living off of nothing in herself and 
some drug addiction, I'm assuming. And Cliff is kind of following her around and getting uh, food from food trucks and delivering them to her without her knowing that it's him. So he's kind of being her guardian angel. Though my question is, where is Cliff getting the money to buy this food for these food trucks? I don't know. Anyway, uh, Niles is alone. Niles is alone back at Doom Manor. We still don't know what happened to uh, to uh, Flex Mentallo. We don't know where he was. He doesn't. He doesn't appear at all in this episode, like at all. And I guess I get it. Like we were uh, kind of focusing on the core group that we had been with since the first episode, but like, come on, like. They introduce this character who clearly could go toe-to-toe with Mr. Nobody, and they just completely leave him out of the climax. I thought it was... I, I didn't like that. I really wanted to see Flex Mentallo go up against Mr. Nobody. But we find that after the revelation of all this stuff that happened, uh, Cyborg has kind of, uh, I guess, retreated into himself, and he's just staying home doing, like, cybersecurity like fighting cybercrime where he's not going into the field, which is sad when you think about the heights of where he was at at the beginning of the season when he was a full-blown superhero, he had been on the Justice League, the whole deal. Um, now to see him brought so low is really, I think, really tragic. And then we also got little clips of Doom Manor through the ages. We checked out uh, 1976 when Larry is first brought in and uh, Rita is getting to know him. We see them at 1988, the, uh, I guess, New Year's Eve, where they're really getting to know each other. And we realize they've been around for a long time. And again, these characters aren't aging. And that's all due to what we find out is called the Immortus Initiative, which I think is interesting if you think about General Immortus, who is one of their big uh, villains in the comics. So we'll see if that ends up coming into play, uh, I guess, next season, if there is one. But the Immortus Initiative was the project that Niles was working on with the Bureau of Normalcy, where they were causing these accidents to these people and seeing the effects. And the effects of these accidents were that these people essentially became immortal. They didn't, uh, they didn't age, they didn't die, uh, and we're finally getting the answer of why characters like Jane, characters like Larry, haven't aged at all since the uh, since you know the time periods that they were kind of plucked out of. Uh, it was assumed that Niles was uh, somehow exposed to it, seeing as how he hasn't aged either. But uh, it turns out that he was in pursuit of this immortality. And he wanted to see how it would affect other people's lives. And so he cursed all of the Doom Patrol with it. So everyone is scattered. They've lost. Nobody won. And uh, everything kind of sucks until they find that they are kind of brought together by a familiar song. And that's Chumbawamba's I Get Knocked Down. And I Get Up Again. You ain't never going to keep me down. I get knocked down. Uh, that song is like playing, but it's like some weird uh, off, uh, like super uh, 
tone deaf version of it they don't know why but they all converge on doom manor where we see that niles is sitting in his chair in this empty house now looking at this painting and we find out that mr nobody in retaliation for everything that they've done to him uh he has imprisoned danny the street inside of a painting and again this should have been where we found uh flex mentalo since the last time we saw him he was on the street but we don't know where he is uh niles also reveals that within danny within danny the street he has been keeping safe his daughter so we find out that the girl that mr nobody has been looking for isn't the immortal woman that he ended up uh living with out in the wilderness but it's actually the daughter that he had with this woman that he has been keeping her safe within danny and that he has been basically uh hiding her from the world and nobody has been looking for her so that he can hurt niles and i i feel like it's really interesting to me that they went this route that they made uh this kind of be his big secret in his long list of other secrets but i i mean i really liked it i like that we brought danny back i think danny's a phenomenal character and the more danny the street we get i'm okay with so we also cut back with uh mr nobody because he has uh basically after the six months he's won he's won he has no purpose anymore and he so he kind of gets together with these two characters who have been kind of recurring throughout the season uh i want to say it's general whiskers Yes. So it's General Whiskers, which is the rat that made uh, Cliff hallucinate all the way back, I think, in Therapy Patrol. And then we have Ezekiel, which is the cockroach that was praising the, uh, the god that the cult was trying to bring about, that giant eye in the sky from the Cult Patrol episode and the Paw Patrol episode. Um, the two of them have teamed up and they are now trying to convince Mr. Nobody that he can hurt Niles even further if he finds his daughter. And basically that translates into what ends up being the climax for this episode. So Niles reveals to the team like, hey, Danny's in this painting. My daughter's in Danny. My, da- my daughter's in danger and nobody is going to basically destroy them both so the team all decides they're going to help niles one last time for his daughter not for him for his daughter so they all go into the painting and they find out what's been going on and why that song is playing is because the beard hunter returns he has been uh singing this awful karaoke of this song and he reveals to them that mr nobody came to him and asked him basically where uh niles's daughter was giving him apparently promising him a bag of abraham lincoln's beard hair which we thought at least uh to some extent last episode he had been cured of since he seemed to be trying to start a new life on dandy the street and this caused uh this caused the beard hunter to betray danny to 
Mr. Nobody, which caused the whole thing. So we find out that within uh, Danny the Street, Ezekiel and General Whiskers have been turned giant size, and Nobody has been reduced to a normal person for the most part. And he is now, you know, basically, you know, running for his life from this giant-sized Ezekiel and giant-sized General Whiskers. And is now trying to drink himself to death. So everybody's trying to kind of band together. They want to find the chief's daughter. They want to solve this problem. They want to help Danny escape from the painting. And uh, Rita goes to Mr. Nobody. And the two of them are sharing uh, a drink together. And she tells him that he can still affect this. He can still affect the narrative. He doesn't have to be a nobody. He doesn't have to uh, go down in history as a villain. He can have, as she puts it, the greatest redemption story of all time. And so he starts using his narrative powers to uh, take control of the situation. Meanwhile, uh, we find that Jane has descended into the depths of Danny, which we find out is where the Beard Hunter quote-unquote found Niles during the episode where he went after him and then it was that cliffhanger where it seemed like he was killed uh, we find out that this area was where Niles's daughter was being kept so they all uh, escape essentially they get them together uh, Mr. Nobody starts using his narrative powers to get the giant Ezekiel and the giant uh, General Whiskers to uh, become incredibly sexually attracted to each other and start to make out as giant creatures in the middle of Danny the Street. The show is weird. The show is really weird. I'm glad that it stuck to its guns, dug its heels in, and stayed in its weird lane. But it's so weird. And I could see people who uh, don't quite enjoy weird stuff like this being totally turned off. But... Uh, I kind of love how weird it is. So all of them basically jump into uh, uh, Ezekiel because he's giant-sized. All of them uh, are going to hide inside of him while Larry uses the negative spirit and his inherent radiation from his accident to essentially become a nuke to free them all. So it's weird. It's super weird but um all of them climb into ezekiel uh they somehow trick both mr nobody and the beard hunter into staying outside within danny's cabaret and uh larry explodes larry explodes uh freeing danny the street uh i'm assuming uh oh no because we do see at the very end uh mr nobody and the beard hunter get trapped inside the painting where danny was trapped so they're trapped they're taken care of and uh ezekiel because he's a cockroach lived through the nuke but all of them cut their way out of him and are now all uh tiny all super tiny sized and uh, Larry is the only one who is normal size. So that's really where the episode ends. You know, Niles introduces the team to his daughter, Dorothy. So it's definitely Dorothy Spinner, which is great. Uh, if you don't know who Dorothy Spinner is, definitely check out our Doom Patrol episode. You should check that out. Um, but yeah, so that's 
pretty much where it ends. They're all panicking because they're so small. Larry carries them off back into the Doom Manor, and life is pretty much how it was. So, all in all, once again, I was... Ah, uh, I loved this season. I absolutely loved this season. I was a little underwhelmed by the finale. Uh, I liked that they stuck to their guns and kept it as weird as it could have been. I think I would have liked a more definitive ending, or at least something to carry us into a possible season two. But all in all, for how they did end it, they solved the problem, they have some semblance of normalcy, they're all together again, and they're all a team again. So my burning questions, how are they going to get big again? Uh, what's Dorothy going to do? Because she has some wicked powers. Um, and uh, where the hell is Flex Mentallo? I need to know where he is. He was the best character of the last couple episodes, and I need more of him. So overall, I really enjoyed the season. If you haven't watched it yet, if for some reason all of my non-sponsored recommendations for this show has not yet reached you, uh, do the uh, seven-day free trial binge this show binge young justice season three if you want to you can check out titans um but if you do it right now you will also be able to check out the first episode of swamp thing which is like we said debuting uh this friday so i definitely think you should check this out the show is fantastic it is leagues i think leagues better than titans i would say personally uh just because it's tough. It's a toss-up between this and Young Justice Season 3 on which is better. I think because this was a complete story, I might put this ahead because we still do have an entire back half of the season for Young Justice Season 3. So um, I would say this is probably the best thing that DC Universe has put out so far uh, when it comes to the TV shows. Uh, the comics library is ridiculous. The movie library is really, really good. Uh, this is worth it. This is super worth it. I definitely recommend you check it out um and i just i love this show so let me know what you thought if you have been watching if you haven't jumped on yet let me know what you think let me know what your thoughts are uh feel free to reach out of course through social media through uh email and now we kind of turn our gaze ahead because now that doom patrol is over we need something to fill up the weekly review segment so I am on the hunt for a new show to check out. Maybe it'll be Swamp Thing. Uh, let me know. I'm probably going to put up a poll on our Twitter, and I'll kind of link it through our Instagram. Uh, but let me know what you think we should be reviewing going forward next. Uh, the weekly review I've been really enjoying. I've been loving getting to watch this and then kind of discuss how the show is going in real time with you guys so i want to keep this segment going and i am on the hunt for the next star of our weekly review segment so that is going to do it for this week uh that is going to do it for the doom patrol uh until next time at least and uh we are going to transition now into this week's comics countdown <laughs> 
Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the books that I'm picking up at my local comic book shop this week and the books that I think you should be picking up too. Whether it's at your local comic book shop on Comixology or however you get your comics, these are the ones I definitely think you should be picking up. We'll be talking about the title of each book, the creative team behind it, as well as a brief synopsis of each book as well. And of course, each synopsis will be accompanied by my synopsis voices. If you have a synopsis voice you think I should try out and you'd like to request, feel free to let me know on Instagram, Twitter, or through email. Uh, this week, DC is running the show. Um, DC has three absolute dynamite books out this week, and they are running the game. We've got seven books total, four of which DC, three of which Marvel, um, and two of which are tie-ins, essentially. So uh, DC owns the week. It's been a while since DC has really, at least for me, in my estimation, in my opinion, has really knocked it out of the park, and I think this is definitely uh, the start of that. So let's go ahead and kick it off. We are starting off with Fantastic Four number 10, written by Dan Slott, with art by Stefano Cassetti. Big fan of Stefano Caselli's art. And this is a War of the Realms tie-in. So let's jump into the synopsis, the very lengthy synopsis, right now. War of the Realms tie-in. Don't bring your war to Yancey Street. Yeah, that's it. So uh, not a whole lot of description in the synopsis, but I am super stoked. Uh, this looks like at least from the uh cover that this is going to be more of the auxiliary characters in the fantastic four book we're talking uh the kids franklin valeria uh looks like they're going to be joined by their mom sue storm and they are going to be making a stand against uh the Dark Forces of Malekith on Yancey Street. So we'll see exactly what happens. Uh, last I checked in the uh, main book, New York itself fell. So I don't know if that extends out into the specific boroughs inside of New York, but we'll have to see. Uh, next up, we have Detective Comics Annual number two, written by Pete J. Tomasi with art by Travis Moore. Uh, this looks like it's going to be more of a uh, self-contained story, kind of away from the main Arkham Knight storyline, but um, I'm pretty excited about this one, I'm not going to lie. So we'll go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. After years on the shelf, Batman returns to the Black Case book. Throughout his career, Batman has compiled his most disturbing cases into one volume. It's every page filled with bizarre horror and crimes he never quite managed to solve. Now, a case from the past has reopened itself in the here and now, and Batman will find himself face to face again with one of the deadliest villains he fought in his early years, the Reaper. So if you're not familiar with The Reaper, uh, I would go back and check out uh, Batman Year 2, uh, also known as Batman Fear the Reaper. Uh, I believe you can, sh you can find it on uh, the DC Universe app. But uh, it was an interesting story. Um, there's a lot of talk on whether this Reaper character ended up influencing uh, the Phantasm from Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Uh, the story itself has a lot of similarities with Massacre the Phantasm, but different creators have given different stories on it. But 
I'm really excited. We're bringing the Reaper back into modern continuity. Uh, it really feels like uh, Tomasi is leaning heavily into the ro kind of rolling timeline now that Rebirth has kind of opened the door to, that both pre- and post-New 52 stuff is now canon. So I'm really interested to see where this goes, and I am really interested to see what they do with the Reaper. Next up, we have Superior Spider-Man number 6, written by Christos Gage, with art by Mike Hawthorne. Uh, this book's been great. I've been really enjoying this so far, and the book went up a notch last issue where we have a crossover with Doctor Strange that continues in this week's issue. Um, I love stories that pit uh, intelligent characters against each other, uh, namely especially when they have like science-based characters meeting up and having to work with magic-based characters. So I really like this. Uh, having Doctor Strange and essentially uh, Doc Ock together and having to work together is just fantastic. And uh, let's get into the synopsis here. Super Auto Magic continues. Doctor Strange and Superior Spider-Man have to team up to save Otto's new love from a horrific possession courtesy of Master Pandemonium. But, as with everything with Otto Octavius, this is not your typical team-up and will turn the whole Heroes Fight Then Heroes Team-Up trope on its head. Don't miss the latest installment of the most surprising comic on the stand. So yeah, um, it's teasing that, you know, the tried and true method of heroes disagreeing and then coming together might not be the case here. So I am interested to see where they go. And a character like Master Pandemonium doesn't really get used a whole lot. So when he does, I think it's really good and really ups the stock of that character. Next up, we have our second War of the Realms tie-in with Thor number 13, written by Jason Aaron with art by Mike del mundo i'm really excited because we're finally picking up on a thread that was teased back in like i want to say like two or three issues ago for thor um there's a lot there's a lot going on so uh just in general when it comes to war of the realm so i'm excited that we're finally picking this thread back up uh let's jump into the synopsis here war of the realms tie-in weeks ago Allfather Odin sent his brother Kull, the serpent, the god of fear, Thor's backstabbing uncle, into the depths of Malekith's home realm, Svartalheim. There lies the Black Bifrost, Malekith's own corrupted rainbow bridge. Kull's mission is to gather intelligence on the Bifrost, and if he can, destroy it. But will Kull redeem himself at last? Or has the Allfather made another critical mistake in this War of the Realms? So, there are a couple things I think are really interesting. First of all, um, we know that the Black Bifrost was destroyed. But it was destroyed not by the Serpent, but by Freya along with Odin himself uh, in this most recent issue of War of the Realms, the main book. So... We really don't know how this mission went. Um, I'm assuming Cull's dying in this issue because we don't hear about him. Uh, we know that they got intel about the Black Bifrost, which I assume ha had to have come from Cull. But I'm seeing this as like a suicide mission type deal for him. He's been really uh, on the sidelines. He's been an enter entertaining character every so often, being kind of the uh, less successful loser brother of Odin. But I... Um, 
I don't really know exactly where he fits in a post-Odin, post-Freya, post-War of the Realms world. So I'm expecting him to bite the dust here, probably in a heroic fashion, but uh, we'll just have to see. And now we head into the big three this week, all from DC. Uh, the first up being Batman, Last Night on Earth, number one of three. Written by Scott Snyder with art by Greg Capullo. This is the conclusion of the Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo, Batman arc that started all the way back in the beginning of the New 52. Um, this is interesting. This is from what uh, Greg Capullo and Scott Snyder have both said. This is kind of completing their trilogy. Uh, the first installment being the 50 page or the 50 issue run of Batman in the New 52. Their second kind of installment dealing with uh, Dark Knight's Metal, and then this being their final uh, final chapter. Uh, they've said in different interviews that this is going to be collecting kind of all of the uh, stuff that they've touched upon throughout their run. But this also seems like out of continuity at the same time. This is part of DC's Black Label. So I'm not sure exactly where this is going to go, but I'm really excited. Anytime that Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo get together, it is going to be quality storytelling. So I'm really excited. Let's jump into the synopsis here. Bruce Wayne wakes up in Arkham Asylum, young, sane, and he was never Batman. So begins this sprawling tale of the Dark Knight as he embarks on a quest through a devastated DC landscape, featuring a massive cast of familiar faces from the DC Universe. As he tries to piece together the mystery of his past, he must unravel the cause of this terrible future and track down the unspeakable force that destroyed the world as he knew it. From the powerhouse creative team of writer Scott Snyder and artist Greg Capullo, the team that reinvented Batman from the emotional depths of Court of Owls to the bombastic power of Dark Knight's Metal, DC Black Label is proud to present the bi-monthly, three-issue miniseries, Batman Last Night on Earth, published at DC's standard comic trim size. This could be the last Batman story ever told. So, a lot to unpack there. Um... This is going to be incredible. Uh, every single thing they've put out, even with, you know, I know a lot of people had different conflicting feelings about uh, Dark Knight's Metal, but I overall loved the event. Uh, I loved their entire New 52 run, and uh, sadly, Tom King's Batman run didn't really reach the heights of, uh, of the Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo, at least uh, critically, or... Uh, I guess, critically wise. Uh, it wasn't as critically acclaimed as their run. But I am so excited for this book. It is part of Dark Knight's Metal. It is going to be a three-issue miniseries. It sounds bi-monthly, so every two months. So this is going to be completed in six months' time. Pretty much seems like just in time for the end of the year. So I'm really excited. There's a lot in store for Batman this year, and I am excited about it. So definitely, definitely, definitely pick this up. Next up, we have Doomsday Clock number 10 of 12, written by Jeff Johns and art by Gary Frank. I feel really bad for Jeff Johns. Uh, he started this at the beginning of DC Rebirth, uh, at least telling the story, and it feels like ever since he kind of got moved off of kind of being head of DC Creative into just kind of focusing on his own stuff, DC kind of left him behind and kind of left his vision behind, which sucks. 
because Rebirth had a lot of promises, and I feel like it only really uh, fulfilled half of them. So one thing it has fulfilled, though, is Doomsday Clock has been a quality book every single issue. It's been wonderful. Every issue that's come out, last issue was huge. It was a very, very, very big deal with all of the heroes going after Dr. Manhattan on Mars and basically Manhattan wiping them all out. So Superman is now the last hero standing, it seems like, uh, along with a critically injured Batman. We'll see... Uh, where that goes it's awfully convenient that our big two are the only ones left but we'll see uh this book has been amazing so far every single time a new issue comes out you know it's going to be quality and it gets the entire comic world buzzing so definitely check this out let's jump into the synopsis here this stunning issue of the critically acclaimed hit maxi series reveals the secrets behind dr manhattan and his connection to the dc universe so uh, a lot of stuff is supposed to be apparently packed into this. We've seen teasers, uh, including a full page dealing with the Justice Society. And I swear to God, I want me Justice Society. I need me Justice Society. And if this book brings back the Justice Society, I will be a happy man. Uh, we will see exactly what happens. We are, it seems like, going to be getting a lot of answers in this issue, which I'm excited for, which will leave us with the final two issues to really wrap up the story. Uh, this is a must-buy this week. This has to be a must-buy. Um, so yeah, and then the final must-buy, I think, personally to me, the big book for this week is Heroes in Crisis number 9 of 9, written by Tom King with art by both Clay Mann and Mitch Jarrods. What a tangled web that this story has woven. Um, lots of stuff has been said about this series. Lots of stuff has been said about the, uh, the writer behind the series. Lots of stuff has been said about the characters inside the series. For me, it is something that I can see kind of all sides on. And I really would love to get down to the bottom of this, really kind of pick the brain of Tom King and see exactly what he was hoping to accomplish with this book and exactly what kind of narrative he was trying to tell. Because I, I personally, I love Tom King's writing. I really, really do. I am, as you heard, I am just destroyed at the fact that he is, his story is getting cut short. But I really... I've had a lot of mixed feelings about this book, and this next issue is it. This is the conclusion of this story. The cover shows two different Wally West, which we now have the um, context for after the last couple issues, but I am wondering if the two Wally West thing is going to be something that goes forward. Uh, we're going to have to see. I am really interested to see how this lands. I'm really interested to see what kind of implications this has going forward. And I'm really interested to see what DC keeps and what DC gets rid of. So let's jump into the synopsis here. The most talked about miniseries of the year reaches its stunning finale. The mystery behind the murders at Sanctuary is solved. But the mind behind it is one the heroes never expected. With their deepest secrets exposed, the Trinity has to consider how to carry on. Should the tragedy cause them to redouble their efforts to help their hurting comrades, or will they need to close up shop? 
the answers will be found in the ashes of this final showdown, and the fates of Booster Gold, Harley Quinn, and the rest hang in the balance. So the last couple issues have really been focusing on Wally West, kind of revealing him to be the killer at Sanctuary. Um, and because of that, we haven't really been able to follow a lot of what's been going on with uh, Harley and Booster. They, the last time we caught up with them, they had kind of reconnected and tried to kill each other, but found that they couldn't kill each other because they're not killers. So I am really interested to see how this is all going to interconnect, um, what this is going to do for these characters going forward, and how they are going to wrap everything up um the trinity also has been kind of on the sidelines since they've been kind of just witnessed everything going on uh we've been getting a little bit here and there from uh from batman mostly and a little bit from lois lane of all people but um not a whole lot from superman we don't know what's going on with him uh we barely know what's going on with diana so i'm wondering if this is going to be a more uh focused issue on them um, or if this is going to be more focused on Booster and Harley, if this is going to be more focused on Wally. There's a lot that has to go into this issue if it wants to stick the landing. So I am definitely going to be picking it up. Let me know if you are. Uh, like I said, the top three books this week are books I think are must-buys, and I would love to know if I missed anything. If you think there's a book that I missed that I should definitely be checking out, please let me know. I would love to have that discussion. I would love to find new books. Um, I just recently, this week, caught the uh, first trade for the Mark Wade Doctor Strange book. I kind of dropped off that. And uh, I picked up the first trade, and I've actually been really, really enjoying it. So um, I'm always down, because I got that uh, recommendation from uh, Leland from uh, House of Secrets, who is, which is the shop that I go to. Um, so I love getting recommendations and finding new comics that I didn't really uh, give a chance before or haven't just heard of before. So definitely let me know all of that. Let me know if you plan on picking up the books that I've talked about, the books... Uh, that you have been picking up, that you won't pick up. Let me know what you've been thinking about Heroes in Crisis. Uh, I can tease, uh, I guess it's not really a tease, it's more of a reveal, that next week's episode will be all about Heroes in Crisis, talking about the full event, talking about um, my thoughts on it, going step by step, beat by beat, trying to piece together everything. And yeah, we're going to be talking heroes in crisis completely and totally so i really want to know what you think of heroes in crisis i want to know what you think of all of these books where dc and marvel are at uh when it comes to the quality of their books because there's a lot that can be said for both companies on how they're doing business how their business is doing so we will see that is next week uh same geek time same geek channel i want to say thank you for sticking with us throughout all of this it has been wonderful getting caught up on swamp thing i'm really excited to uh watch the first episode and once again i will be putting up a poll on what uh show or movies or series of movies uh i should be checking out and reviewing for our weekly review segment so look forward to all that once again on twitter and instagram at geeksplain pod that's at geeksplain pod i'll be putting up the poll on twitter and uh, kind of linking to it from instagram so definitely check those out and you can also send me emails because i'm an old man i still read emails to geeksplain at gmail.com but that is going to do it for this week for geeksplain this is eric azana thank you very much for listening and we will 
See you next time.